I don't know, at least a dozen. And uh, the Lord has blessed it, had thousands of men literally uh, come through this ministry. And uh, we're thankful that you're out there uh, zooming it uh, with us or uh, uh, Google docking it, whatever we're doing uh, now. And um, we miss you. Uh, this ministry is a ministry of connection. Ministry is all about connection. And uh, it's pretty hard to connect uh, when there is a uh, worldwide uh, pandemic going on. But we're trying to stay connected, uh, you know, indirectly, and, and uh, people are starting to, to uh, uh, have small groups and stuff like that. I hope you're doing okay. Uh, there's a lot of uh, stuff going on, emotional stuff going on uh, that people are carrying around, and, and um, I hope you're doing well. Thank you for tuning in, and thank you for supporting the Men's Roundtable because uh, you're what it's all about, and uh, we do this for you. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Uh, you wouldn't believe what all goes on behind the scenes, but it's all for you. It's a ministry to you, and so we hope and pray uh, that your life uh, is is being touched and that you are um, farther down uh, the path uh, of your connection with the Lord and uh, of your journey. And um, we've just enjoyed uh, at Ceasefire hosting this over the years. We are today uh, at my friend uh, Chuck McBride's house. Chuck is also uh, he's a senior VP legal man at, uh, uh, at ceasefire. We're at his home today. And so we've brought all our technology Jeff cook has, and, uh, we are here today, uh, and, um, just have a small, small group, the leadership team actually, uh, here just to kind of keep Phil, uh, accountable and honest, uh, and on track. But again, thank you. We love you. Yes. He has to have somebody to, you know, kind of, Stroke him a little bit, you know, uh, <clears throat> but uh, always grateful for what Phil does. He works on this. Uh, even though we've had a pandemic, he has not taken um, a moment off from it. Uh, we get the notes and the outlines and the handouts and everything just regularly. And he he uh, offers up, uh, as some say, fresh manna uh, to us uh, on a regular basis. Uh, and um, he, he does a little bit of, uh, of uh, what we call um, – uh, evangelical plagiarism or something like that. I don't know where he borrow, borrows. He borrows from other other great men uh, of the faith and books and things. But most of it comes from uh, his own um, uh, horsepower up there. So, uh, no, seriously, we love Phil. He has a phenomenal ministry here and uh, has touched the lives of many men, and, and I'm one of them, and uh, we're all one of them. And so thank you, Phil, for what you do, sir. I am going to um, open with prayer and pray for you guys out there. Uh, we don't have any idea when we're going to be kind of getting back together yet. wish I had some um, idea to tell you about that. We don't know that. But for now, we're here, and you're there, and God will meet us in this capacity. So let me open with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your mightiness, for your power, for your glory. Lord, you are, you are Lord and you are mighty and glorious and powerful even in the midst of uh, challenging times. You are Lord over uh, the pandemic. Uh, you are not caught by surprise, Lord, and wring your hands in heaven with the holy triunity. You are over and involved and superintending every aspect of this and Know of every ripple of every wave and every beat of every heart. 
And so, Father, we come to you this morning. We have committed this ministry to you from day one. And we, Lord, would be so remiss if we did not plead with you to come and to continue to use us and to continue to strengthen this ministry, Lord. Uh, it is all about you, mm. holy God. Mm. And we ask that you be honored and praised and glorified. And Father, for my brothers uh, that are part of this ministry out there even now, uh, Lord, would you minister to them? Would you encourage them? Would you provide for them? Would you help them to be the men that you've called them to be uh, and to lead and to love and to serve in mm. the midst of all of this uh, kind of a difference that we're involved in now? And Lord, even this day, would you come and give us peace? And Lord, not just uh, a sense of uh, safety or tranquility, but a sense of, of using us, Father, for the remaining years that we have to be used for your honor and for your glory and for our good. Mm. And Lord, we just uh, ask it now and pray you'd be with Phil and his family. And we ask this all in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, John. We are here in the headquarters of the Worldwide Ministries of BPO International. Uh, the IT uh, team uh, has us hooked up, and I appreciate uh, Jeff Cook. And uh, as John said, we're in Chuck's home, and appreciate Chuck, and especially Mary Allen, uh, allowing us to come in at 6.30 in the morning. And uh, a number of the guys from our leadership team um, are here. And um, Guys, one of the things that as John was praying, I was thinking of, I am so grateful uh, that my heart is full um, of being here uh, at this time with you at Men's Roundtable. Uh, we've been doing this now going on 13 years. We'll start 13 years um, um, at the end of August. And uh, man, I'm amazed. I mean, I don't know if you get anything out of this. Obviously, you're tuning in. But I absolutely love it, and I miss uh, our being uh, together. But um, I'm glad you're tuned in, and and I'm truly, truly, personally grateful to God that uh, that uh, my heart uh, is still full uh, and and um, in, uh, loves doing this. So I'm glad that we're together. I want to offer you a song this morning that uh, trust the the uh, music, the words will awaken your heart. Um, we're in the book of Deuteronomy, um, continuing our series on into the wilderness. So we're on the edge of the wilderness, and uh, Moses uh, is giving these series of sermons in order to um, equip the children of Israel to move over and to possess that which God has promised. And um, I wanted to play a song um, that uh, brings up lots of wonderful memories um, of just a battle, um, and the children of Israel have had to fight their way even through the wilderness. It's not like it, they were just wandering around eating manna and quail, um, that they were engaged in battles. And Moses is um, motivating them, charging them to keep marching on. The song I want to play for you is the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and it's played by the United States Army Field Band. I hope you can see the visual of this. Just to read the words, everybody's familiar with this. Uh, I, I remember singing this in the fifth grade in music class. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. 
May you hear the voice of God and may it open your heart to what he has for us this morning.
Amen, amen. If that doesn't send goosebumps up your back, uh, then you need another cup of coffee. Uh, that was uh, beautiful, inspiring. I, I love that. I was just telling the guys, what a beautiful uh, group of people, young men and women, um, 20 and 25 years old, singing that. Um, makes me proud to be an American. Makes me proud uh, to be a citizen of, the, of um, God's kingdom. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. The words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. We continue our series into the wilderness, understanding and embracing the dark times of uh, our life. Uh, follow with me as we read the introductory paragraph. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal. Are brutal. Amen. But God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. The only question is, do we have eyes to see it? In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust Him, He must present us with a moment, six months of crisis, and since He wants us to seek help from Him, He brings us through the wilderness to remove all other help first. Wouldn't it be great if we were all falling on our knees and the evening report on the news would be hundreds of thousands of uh, believers like you and me would be on our knees praying? I think that is a lot of the intent of what's going on. When we're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, provision, and preparation. We might even wonder, how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? But remember Jesus. He went through the ultimate wilderness the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. If that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, then we can trust Him in our own present wilderness season. Let's journey together. Marching on. Um, powerful time of uh, Moses and the children of Israel just on the edge of the promised land. It's like we can see it over there, and they're on the plains of Moab. And Moses hears the voice of his father-in-law in his ear, Jethro. Teach them. Tell them how to live. In the book of Deuteronomy, is a series of sermons where Moses is giving them their final marching orders. And so we're looking at marching on, marching on, marching on, and realizing that which God has promised. Um, as Grandma always said, save your fork, because the best is yet to come. And it's kind of like, that's what Moses is saying. It's like, guys, we've, we've been here for 40 years, but there's something up ahead. So I want you to pick up your pen, and uh, I have three questions for you. So let's intentionally go to work. Marching on. First question what does marching on, if you will, or walking with God mean to you? I want you to write down three words. I'll, I'll make it easy. When you think of walking with God, write down three words. Three words. Walking with God. It's interesting because, you know, the only thing that we know about Enoch, he walked with God. But what does that mean? He walked with God. 
I would suggest to you three words, at least that it, that I would write down. And I, I mean, I I, uh, I wish we were again in, at C Spire in the training room, John, and we'd just do a little brainstorming on on the on the whiteboard with the whole group. Um, but the three words that I would write down is intimacy, faith, and fight. Intimacy, faith, and fight was what I'd write down. And again, there's plenty of hundreds of other words, you know. But one of the things that I would awaken you to is what is oftentimes called the quartet of the vulnerable. And this is so much about all through Scripture that God is encouraging us to, uh, to understand. He wants us to understand the quartet of the vulnerable. Now, I grew up in East Tennessee, and uh, the Hardin Brothers Quartet were my great uncles. And uh, they had this, the Brothers uh, Quartet, the Hardin Brothers Quartet. And if the Hardin Brothers Quartet sang at your funeral, you were big time. If you were at the Saturday night uh, uh, song service at the Little Rock Church, the Free Will Baptist Church, which is just down the road uh, from where I grew up, then the Hardin Brothers Quartet were going to be there. And if, and, if, and if you wanted to hear the Hardin Brothers Quartet, you better get there early. And so this idea of the quartet of the vulnerable is so much about what it also means to walk with God. And I'd suggest to you this, orphan, that one of the members of the quartet is that we would adhere, we would give, we would love the orphan. That's what it means to walk with God, to give to the fatherless. And many men that I know and in our men's ministry still have their fathers alive. But in many ways, they grew up fatherless. Uh, Donald Miller wrote a book years ago, um, Growing Up Without a Father, uh, 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 Slaying the Dragon, I think was the original title, and then, they, and then they changed it. But it's the idea of being an orphan, even if you have a father, but many people don't have fathers. I read the other day, that 50% of births in America are uh, uh, the, the uh, mother is giving birth without the father being present. Many times she doesn't even know who the father is. 50%. I, I was just like floored. Orphans. Secondly, um, a group of people that God encourages us all through his word to, uh, to understand as part of walking with God is to care for the stranger, those who are friendless, those who have been betrayed, the friendless. I work with couples all the time that a spouse comes in and she has been betrayed. He has been betrayed. And it's the experience of being friendless, even in a marriage. The friendless is not necessarily the guy that's uh, down on the uh, street begging uh, for money to, um, to live but he's friendless. The third member of the quartet of the vulnerable is the widow. And the widow is not necessarily the literal uh, wife who has lost her husband of 65 years like my dad did. My, uh, my mom and dad were married 65 years. Um, I, know, I know John has gone through that with his mom and dad. And, but a widow um, is anybody who has felt rejected that they've lost their lover. And many people feel that. I mean, I've, I, I've talked to, to men who have been uh, in the corporate world for 30, 35 years. They lose their job 
at that point, they are experiencing the experience of a widow. They've been rejected. And then finally, the fourth member of this uh, quartet of the vulnerable, of course, is the poor. And if we're going to walk with God, then we take care of those who are needy. The poor. Poor in spirit. Poor physically. We take care of the needy. So walking with God is very rich. Um, that's what Moses is encouraging the people to do, to walk with God, to march on. Second question, what can you do to comfort the stressed and hurting? What wrong treatment of another has come to your attention? Somebody right now will come to your mind. Just, just to ask God, God, who is it that needs some encouragement today? Orphan, widow, poor, friendless, stranger, who is that? Or who is hurting? Um, you know, sometimes in my counseling practice, there's kind of, it seems like there's a wave of a certain uh, person or condition that seems to come. You know, it's kind of like buying a new car and you look and I never saw anybody have a car like that. And all of a sudden, that's all you see is everybody's got the same car, you know, and it's kind of like, what I've been seeing in my counseling practice for some reason, I don't think it has anything to do with the pandemic necessarily, but I've seen abuse, ab uh, abuse in the context of marriage. I've seen men who have been abused uh, by their wives, and I've seen wives who are being abused by their husbands. Uh, and it's hard to sit there with a couple and she is sharing and, and, and to say, to the husband, dude, that's abuse. That's abuse. Now, you got to be careful when you call out an abuser. It's a little dangerous. Uh, you could get hurt if he reacts. It's sad. People who need to be comforted. Final uh, question. Who do you know that's in the wilderness now? We all are. And, I, and I'm telling you guys, um, people are under stress. I mean, the reactiveness, and, 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 and truly, uh, a case could be made that part of the reason that I'm seeing abuse is because of the pandemic, um, uh, pandemic because of uh, people being under such stress. You know, as we always say, uh, when the toothpaste tube gets squeezed, it's only what's on the inside that comes out. You, you squeeze that toothpaste tube enough, and people are going to react. People are under a lot of stress. So let's go back to Deuteronomy. Marching on, marching on. To turn over with me to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4. In the first four uh, chapters of Deuteronomy is Moses' first sermon. Uh, I'd say that was a pretty long church service. I'd, I'd, I'd say the fried chicken and the coleslaw was, uh, uh, was uh, 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 lonely. Um, chapter 4, uh, verse 1 and 2. Now listen, Israel, listen carefully to the rules and regulations that I'm teaching you to follow so that you may live and enter and take possession of the land that God, the God of your fathers, is giving to you. Don't add a word to what I command you and don't remove a word from it. Keep the commands of God, your God, that I am commanding you. I mean, it's the thesis. It's the summary. It is 
the essence of that first sermon, just these two verses. I mean, think about getting up every morning, not, not just being on the plains of Moab and listening to, to Moses to go into the promised land, but it's like today, right now, as I prepare for the next you know, 15 hours of being awake before I lay my head on a pillow, that I would l- listen to this, listen carefully to the rules and regulations that I'm teaching you, follow them. I command you, don't remove a word from it. Keep the commandments of God today, today what Moses is saying. And so, you know, as, as we look at this today, it looks like this in kind of an outline form. Moses' words are this charge marching on. But the problem is, is that he is implying, are you ready? Are you ready? Here, here's my charge. Are you ready? And I know that's, that, that triggers all you old Miss people. Uh, I, I, you can't say that without breaking into a cheer. I don't know, but hang on now. Just focus, focus. And then, and, then, and then the response, the covenantal response, we've talked about this a lot, is always, I will. I will. I will keep marching on. So breaking that down, Moses gives his charge. Um, you know, um, as I've mentioned to you before, I, I've done a few weddings, and, um, you know, after the couple says, I do, there's usually a homily or a charge, and that's it, it follows the covenantal pattern Uh God wants um, his people to pledge that they will follow him. And, and, and their response is to be, I do. And that's exactly what a, a groom and a bride say, I do. And then we give them a homily, or I like to call it a charge. And it's exactly what Moses is saying. Are you really going to be married to God, your true lover? And he gives them this charge through all these sermons in the book of Deuteronomy. Now I want you to turn over to James uh, chapter 1. And this... Uh, James chapter 1 would be, in, in a sense, uh, the New Covenant, uh, New Testament, present-day uh, understanding of the charge that Moses is giving to the children of Israel there on the plains of Moab. James chapter 1 says this, uh, verses 22 through 24. Don't fool yourselves into thinking that you're a listener when you are anything but. Are you really listening? And again, that's what Moses is saying. Listen, listen, listen. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Guys, do not tell me that you're a listener of God and you're not feeding from his word. (laughs) That's that's incongruent. It's incongruent is what we say in Cycle Bible. Act on what you hear. Act on, I charge you. To act on what you read, what you hear God saying through His Word. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror and walk away. And two minutes later have no idea who they are, what they look like. They don't know who they are. I had a young man come into my office this week. Great young guy. 
um, sharp, sharp. And with tears in his eyes, he said, I don't know who I am. Oh my goodness, good looking guy, really sharp, got a good professional career. And, and he's in my office saying, I don't know who I am. And, and he's asking me in a sense, not literally, but certainly figuratively, Phil, I want to look into your eyes and I want you to help me through your eyes, looking into my eyes, to know who I am. And guys, I'm going to tell you, uh, I, I'm going to do everything I can to point him toward the Lord. And I hope that God will use me as an incarnational Jesus, Jesus with skin on it. And he will see himself as God sees him. And that's how we are to read the word, that we read the word and we see ourselves. And the word, the, the, the Bible says that it affirms us and corrects us. It is like a father because God is fathering us through his word. So that's what Moses is saying. And then, I love this, I love this. Moses is saying, know your history. Know your history. Guys, there is so much going on, obviously, about our history and our culture. But I'm telling you, I'm not trying to be culturally relevant and get into the evening news by any means. But, but this is so much what Moses was teaching because all throughout Scripture, the story of the wilderness is told over and over and over and over. Now turn over to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 1. Just give you just a brief sampling of how Moses goes about this, um, of uh, alerting them to their history. Again, he starts this sermon, uh, Deuteronomy 1, verse 1. These are the sermons Moses preached to all Israel when they were east of the Jordan River in the Arabah wilderness, opposite Surf, in the vicinity of Paran, Tophel, Laban, Hezroth, and Desahab. It takes 11 days to travel from Horeb to Kenish Barnea, following the Mount Seir route. It was on the first day of the 11th month of the 40th year when Moses addressed the people of Israel, telling them everything God had commanded him concerning them. This came after he had defeated Shan, king of the Amorites, who ruled from Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who ruled from Asherah in Edrai. It was east of the Jordan in the land of Moab from Moses set out to explain the revelation. So again, they were fighting their way through the wilderness. We can easily forget, man, it was hard. It was not just hard because it was hot and had to eat the same thing every day, man and quail, but they were fighting their way through even then. And listen to this. He said, back at Moab, God, our God spoke to us. You've stayed long enough at this mountain on your way. Now get moving, head for the Amorite Hills, wherever people are living in the Araba, um, the mountains, the foothills, the Negev, the seashore, the Canaanite country and the Lebanon, all the way to the big river, the Euphrates. Look, listen to this. I've given you this land. Now go in and take it. What if they had just sat down and said, we don't want to. We're tired. It's like, it's yours, but you've got to fight. You're going to, well, I, I thought you said you gave it to us. I mean, I remember like when the girls, my little, my girls were little, I was trying to teach them as best I knew and be as good a father. I wouldn't even give them a piece of pizza if they didn't at least say, 
please. It, it's like somehow there needs to be something on the other end. Or respond, you, you know, I just didn't hand them pizza. You know what happens if you just hand your kids pizza all the time? You know what happens? It's called entitlement. Daddy, that's my pizza. I just, no, no, it's my pizza. Say, please. It takes some involvement on our part. It's the land God promised to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their children after them. At the time I told you I can't do this, can't carry all you by myself, God, your God, has multiplied your numbers. Why? Look at you. You rival the stars in the sky. And may God, the God of your fathers, keep it up and multiply you, you another thousand times. Bless you just as he promised. And listen to this. But how can I carry all by myself your troubles and burdens and quarrels? Who told him that? Where did he get that? Remember his conversation with Jethro? His father-in-law told him, said, look, dude, you got you to gotta start delegating. You're going to burn yourself out. So select some wise understanding and seasoned men from your tribes, and I will commission them as your leaders. And then he just goes on. Again, my, the point is this, is that so much of Moses' sermon is reminding the people of their history. Reminding, reminding, who do you belong to? Where'd you come from? What's God done in your life? So critical. And then I love this. Jesus' favorite book to quote from was Deuteronomy. Now, I don't have time, again, to, to look at this passage, but look at Luke chapter 4, verses 4 through 12, and when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by uh, the devil, what was he quoting? He was quoting Deuteronomy. This is what I would say to you. I, I would hope as you're headed to the beach over the next few weeks, I know some of you will get to uh, do that, um, uh, sitting on your patio, um, sitting at a coffee shop, sit down and read through the whole book of Deuteronomy. Just, just, just you know, cut out of time um, and read through in one sitting the book of Deuteronomy. It's powerful. Jesus quoted from it um, as he marched on. And then finally, this idea of marching on is always walk by faith. Walk by faith. Now I want you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. And I, I love the passage in Ephesians chapter 1, where in many ways God, through the Apostle Paul, gives us our resume of who we are. And he tells us who we are, but the implication is, though you are this, the only way to activate it um, is by faith. Now listen to this, Ephesians chapter 1. How blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundation, he had us in mind, had settled on us, settled on you as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. He, in, your, in your study Bible, this passage has a phrase that says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. 
But you know, guys, you can be blessed with every spiritual blessing. Be, be an embodiment of God's blessing. And if you don't walk by faith, it's not activated. What activates that which is true about you and me is we've got to walk it out, just like the children of Israel. God promised you the, the land. It's right over there. We can see it from here. We're getting ready to go here in a, in a few days. But if you just sit down and say, you know, that's mine over there, but I'm not going to get up and walk over there. It's like you've got to walk by faith, marching on, marching on. Moses, wow, in his final glory. By the way, like we'll get to this, but, you know, he dies, and they spend 30 days grieving his death. But Moses inspired them to march on. I'm going to show you a clip Again, uh, Major Dick Winters. I mean, he, he's our Moses in our case study with uh, Easy Company and the Band of Brothers. And there's been so much honor, and rightfully so, of Major Dick Winters. And this is just a, just a brief clip, uh, three minutes or so, of a, honor, a, a service um, of uh, honoring Major Dick Winters. It would be as if, in a sense, that we're standing here today listening to Moses. If we were part of Easy Company, we would be telling stories of Major Dick Winters, our leader. Watch this. The greatest news story in 1944, D-Day, H-Hour, that fateful moment for which the whole world held its breath. But in the night hours of D-Day minus one, long before these first assault boats nosed onto the beach, American fighting men, troop carriers, paratroops, airborne infantry and glidermen were already there. This picture is a small tribute to those men, living and dead, who went in before H-Hour on D-Day, five hours ahead of the main force, to start the destruction of Fortress Europe. young young first lieutenant when he came over here leading these guys and it was really his first experience with combat he was a, a person that that just made you feel secure being around him just the way he walked his bearing the way he talked that's the way he was he was an he was an average guy actually but he rose to the occasion we met it and he helped us meet it too the man really is, represents the quintessential leader. He was a great leader and everything he did was right. He, he always, always, all his decisions were right. He had a, a, an innate sense of doing the right thing. You know, these guys were willing to follow him in the words of one veteran through the gates of hell. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the dedication of the Richard Winters Leadership Monument. My name is Tim Gray. I'm chairman of the World War II Foundation. First, let me say we welcome all those who have come across the pond, as they like to say, from America on this very important day. 
We are also very happy to be joined by so many of our friends from France, both young and old, and as well as those from across Europe who have made the trek today. We are also fortunate to be hosting so many important dignitaries on the 68th anniversary of D-Day, both from the United States and from the French Republic. Today we have mayors, governors, and major generals gathered. Our biggest welcome today, however, is reserved for the veterans of D-Day and World War II. It goes without saying that you in the front row are the reason we are able to gather in public places such as this and enjoy the freedom this monument represents. I'm not now. There we go. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I love that. Because just as we might uh, be honoring Major Dick Winters for all that he gave to help us if we were part of Easy Company to survive and to be back with our families, Moses is that hero. And he stood before the children of Israel preparing them to realize, even though he wouldn't be able um, to realize that promise, uh, that which God had promised. But the question I would pose to you, are you ready? Are we ready to possess that which God wants to give us even today? We're in the middle of, uh, middle of, a, of a wilderness. We might even you know, see ourselves on the plains of Moab starting out. But God's got events and circumstances and people that you and I will engage even today. Are we ready? To be ready for any given day and for the long term, what we've got to do is to remember. And so much of what people are going through right now, you and I are going through, is and has been traumatic. And one of the issues of trauma is the tension between, I don't want to talk about it, and I've got to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. And it's amazing. And so many of the um, World War II guys in Easy Company, they never talked about any of the things they experienced with their families when they got home. They didn't want to talk about it. But you know when they talked about it? The annual reunions. The annual reunions. And they would get together and they would tell the stories and they would cry together and they would laugh together. You know, guys, that wasn't a reunion. You know what that was? That was therapy. That was therapy. You've got to remember, and you've got to tell the story. And then, if you're going to um, march on, you've got to have hope. What is our hope? Jesus came down, and He showed us how to live, taught us how to live, I love the passage in Acts 17. Again, I don't have time to read Acts 17, 5 through 9. It says, these men that are Jesus' followers, these, they, uh, the, the, the crowds were breaking into their houses and pulling them out of their houses. And the passage says, these men have turned the world upside down. They were Jesus' followers, and the, and the, and the crowds were accusing them of disrupting their life. Wow. It's, it's so apparent that there is a hope that goes beyond anything we've ever seen, and it might even disrupt the status quo. 
we've got to have that hope. And then, and then, and then finally, you know, just to know that this is the wilderness experience that we're going through is real. Trauma is real. Trauma means living with the reoccurrent tormenting memories of experience of troubling events witnessed or born. And the idea is that the guilt, shame, or, ter- or terror of being harmed by being found out is what Jesus left glory to heal, is that our pain and our fear and our scaredness can be healed if we'll just bring it out into the light. It's real. People are hurting. It's okay to acknowledge that. But it's real. So in order to be ready, we've got to remember, we've got to have that hope and know that what we're experiencing is real. But then I've got to say, I will, I will speak up. I will speak up. Speak out. Speak up against injustice. And I will stand up. I'm going to just close with just the last part of Micah chapter 6. And it, and it speaks into this idea, what does it mean to walk with Jesus? It means to say, today, I will. I will uh, stand up for the quartet of the vulnerable. I will seek intimacy and faith. I will walk by faith, and I will fight for injustice. Listen to this, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. But he's already made it plain how to live, what to do. What God is looking for in men and women is quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. In your study Bible, some of those phrases in that passage reads, and what does the Lord require of you? He requires justice and humility. That we speak care and love against injustice. We are for the people. And then um, the latter part, and to walk humbly with your God is what God requires. I don't take myself too seriously. Uh, I hear somebody's brokenness and their anger, um, and I can identify with empathy and compassion. I'm not reactive. Marching on. Are you ready to possess even what God has for us today? Well, then you've got to say, I will speak up and stand up. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the model of Moses, his words to us. And I pray that even today that we will consistently say, I will, I will follow you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.
brand 